Are you an attorney that wants to help seniors have peace of mind and not go broke paying for the care that they need? But you also want to make better money than you're making right now. This is Elder Law in a Box. You'll become proficient helpers of the aging. Now your host, certified elder law attorney and past president of the National Elder Law Foundation. This is Elder Law in a Box. And this is Todd Watley. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. And I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am doing it. Okay. We just got through episode eight, part one, two, and three, which is gifting. And that's a huge issue in elder law. And I'm sure I will refine some of those topics later. But if you, if you have missed those, I highly encourage that you go back and listen to those because gifting is a huge issue in elder law. And you need to understand it and how it works. So today, I want to jump into another one of those, um, not so much controversial, but it's just one of those things that you really need to understand in elder law and is different for us than in most other practices of law because elder law is just different, okay? And so today we're going to talk about confidentiality. And if your state has the American Bar model rules, this is rule 1.6, okay? Confidentiality of information, okay? Which we all understand as lawyers, you're like, okay, I can't go blabbing things about my client to other people. Well, that makes sense if you're doing a criminal or divorce or bankruptcy. It just makes sense. It's the client and I, we're talking, we keep things between us. It's very cut and dried. Not so much in elder law, because many times if you've listened to my episode seven, which is who is the client, I introduced there that sometimes you may never meet your client. So you're obviously getting information and giving information to other people, agents, children, nursing homes, assisted living, DHS. I mean, there's, there's a lot of times that we actually give information to other people out of necessity of representing our client. And so client confidentiality is one of those issues that's not so cut and dried in elder law. And there are two different situations where it's important. Number one is, um, who do you let in the meeting? Okay. The initial meeting when they are there, when I say they, it could be the client may not be the client. They are there to talk about their situation and get information. And so let's number one, let's say the person is in the meeting, the older person who is the client. And again, if that doesn't make sense, go back to episode number seven, who is the client? So the client comes in and typically in almost every other area of law, it's like you, the client, you come in, sit down with me and let's talk. However, so many times, particularly this age group, this clientele, they are a little nervous of lawyers. They are, they could have some memory problems and they would be much more comfortable, and I think you will get a better detail of the story if you have someone else other other than the client in the room with you. So almost always, I let whoever the client wants to bring in, bring them in. Let's sit down. 
let's talk. And 99% of the time, that's fine because the client is there. Everyone in the room is there for the client, helping get the information out about medical, financial, situational things, problems that are occurring. Everybody's on the, the same team. Everybody's there to talk. And I think it is perfectly okay to allow everyone who wants to be involved in the initial meeting. However, for the first probably 5, 10, 15 minutes of the meeting, I am simply gathering information. I am not giving out anything. And typically, whatever is being said is being said with the full consent of the client. Okay, It's helping the client getting the information out there. If during those first few minutes I am sensing an issue. If there's a kid who seems disgruntled, who's not happy, who's just kind of like, hmm, something's not right here, I may inquire and say, you know, you seem to be not saying much. You seem to be not in agreement with this. And I just, I rip the bandaid off and say, okay, let's talk about it. If at that point, someone there does seem to be disgruntled, someone is not on the same team, or if the entire people there other than my client, and that you'll typically see that when one other person, one child out of two or three or four, comes in with the aging person, the client, and you think, hmm, this child may be trying to get me to have their parent give them all of the power for a not good reason. In those situations, if I get that feeling, or if particularly if there are other children who are not in the meeting, and this child is very dominant and demanding that everything be given to them, it is absolutely necessary that you send that person out to the waiting room and talk to mom, okay? Or dad, let them get you know, comfortable with you. Let them know that you are wanting to get all of the the information. And the way I present that is to the kid sitting there. I'm like, hey, I hear what you're saying. For your protection, okay, for this to be legal, for this to work, and not cause problems with the other children, I need to talk to mom alone. I. I say, I don't doubt what you're saying when I really do, but I'll say, you know, I don't doubt what you're saying, but I need to hear it from mom alone with you in the waiting room. And you can tell all the other kids, he sent me out. He sent me to the waiting room. He, he talked to mom by himself or he and his staff person talked to mom. This is what they did. Okay. And that's a way to protect to number one, get the client alone without causing the person to be too upset. Now, if they do object to that, that's a problem. That is um, a very bright red flag that there is a problem. If the kid refuses to leave, then it's like, hey, I am not doing anything until I talk to mom by myself because I am her attorney and I want to get her story and I want to know what she thinks. Okay. So that is client confidentiality. First part is number one, I am not opposed to numerous people being 
in the room if that is something that the client wants and if it is something that I think is okay. All right. It is important that you get the information from the client themselves and make sure they feel comfortable, which is many times done when someone is in the room with them to help get the story out, refresh their memory. And almost always that's okay. Okay. Everybody there is there to protect the older person and it's fine. But there are those situations where it does seem to be very lopsided. There are children not in the room and particularly if the majority of the children are not in the room and if the child that is there with you is the one causing a unbalanced level of power or assets, whatever, that's where you get concerned and you then follow the ABA rules of sending the person out to the waiting room and then get to the bottom of the story. And there are a lot of attorneys who will only bring the older person in at first and then get permission. And I've tried that and it just typically doesn't work because most people are nervous and they they want someone there with them. And I'm okay with that until a red flag shows up. Okay. So that's part one. Let's take a quick break and then we will get into part two. Do you have clients who are over-resourced for Medicaid, but interested in accelerating Medicaid eligibility while preserving their assets? Your clients may want to consider purchasing a Medicaid-compliant annuity, MCA. MCAs are specialized insurance solutions offered by only a handful of insurance companies. To learn more about MCAs, reach out to Amber Hines at Ashburn. Ashbur is a nationally licensed organization that helps clients achieve Medicaid eligibility through the use of MCAs. Ashbur hosts monthly educational webinars pertaining to various Medicaid planning topics. To learn more, visit ashbur.com or call 888-441-1595. You're listening to the ELIAB podcast, Elder Law in a Box. Here's your host, Todd Watley. Okay, we are back. So now let's talk about the second part of this. And that is where um, you have to go against your client's wishes. They have hired you and you are their attorney. And you are now having to do things that are against their wishes. Okay, and a prime example of this it was real life situation lady came in, always encouraged clients to do powers of attorney and to do not springing powers of attorney because I don't want to jump through this hoop of having to prove that it, that the client is incapacitated. Okay. There's a whole process there. And so I encouraged her to do a immediately effective power of attorney, but agreed that she would tell me and I would not do this again, by the way, and you'll soon see why. I mean, I, I may do it, but I would typically don't do this on a regular basis. She said, I'll make it effective immediately if you will hang on to it and only give it to my daughter when I tell you to. And I said, okay, should be no problem with that. So Rather than springing, I just said, yes, your daughter cannot do anything for you until she has this document, and therefore, I will hang on to this document until you tell me to to 
give it to her. And she's like, great. So probably years go by and I get a phone call from the daughter saying, Hey, mom's in the hospital. Um, they think she has dementia and they're asking who is her financial power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney. And I know mom said she appointed me, but she said I I needed to call you. And I was like, yep, that's correct. So I said, she has told me not to give you those documents until she gives me authority. And so I tried to call her. She didn't answer. I went by the hospital. I talked to her and she said, no, Todd, I'm fine. I, I just was not feeling well. I'm in the hospital. There is no problem. Do not give her those documents. I said, yes, ma'am. Went back to the office and carried on. Did not hear from them until not a long time after, like three months later, she was back in the hospital and daughter calls and says, Todd, we're back. It's worse this time. And I went through mom's house and there were unpaid bills and there is actually a mortgage statement that says they're about to foreclose because she has not paid her bills. I was like, I said, okay, let me go talk to her again. So I go up to the hospital. I meet with her. I say, Miss Jones, please let me give your daughter the power of attorney because I understand there are unpaid bills and things going on at your house and you may lose your house because you're not paying the bill. She's like, Nope, I'm fine. Nope. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. And I was like, but Miss Jones, why are you not paying the bill? She said, I have paid my bills. I was like, okay. So now we're at a situation where in, I could tell in that meeting, she did have dementia. She was losing it and she needed some help. Okay. So in this situation where the client has done the documents and you're now facing an ethical situation of should I breach what my client wants? Should I give this information against her wishes? That actually throws you into a different rule. Okay, that brings up rule 1.14, client with a diminished capacity. And I spend a lot of time here because obviously, as an elder law attorney, we deal with diminished capacity a lot. And I will do an entire presentation on when a client with diminished capacity can and cannot sign documents. However, in this situation where I think it is directly related to client confidentiality, I think you come over here to rule 1.14B, which says when the lawyer reasonably believes that the client has diminished capacity, which we just said she is forgetful and she was doing that a few months back, is at risk of substantial physical, financial, or other harm unless action is taken. Okay, so this is where this rule allows you, I think, to give up the power of attorney even when the client says not to because of the substantial financial problem of losing her home. Okay, the home, she has the money, she could pay it, she just hasn't because she has dementia and therefore is at substantial risk of being homeless because they're going to evict her or foreclose on her home. And so therefore, I think you can breach confidentiality, you can give up documents that your client has said not to, because rule 1.14 protects you when the client has diminished capacity. 
Which brings up the whole issue of, is it our job to determine that? Well, I think so. Because the rules tell us it is our job to maintain a normal client-lawyer relationship as much as possible, even when a client has diminished capacity. So I think it is our job to determine that and see if a client is making decisions that are in their best interest. And so that's a very real-life situation. I, you know, Like I said before, I try my best not to do documents that um, – allow us to maintain documents and put ourselves in that situation. I almost always do immediately effective powers of attorney so that the agent can do something immediately. All right. And don't try not to put yourself in that situation again. Okay. So client confidentiality, I think is hugely important and is different in elder law than pretty much any other practice of law because We do talk with other people routinely, okay? What about facilities? You need to make sure in your contract, when you're doing an elder law contract with a person, you need to put in there that you specifically authorize me to talk with your agent under the power of attorney and also to communicate with any facilities or government entities that we may be dealing with so that you are authorized through the contract by sign contract by the client to talk to the financial agent and the healthcare agent and to talk to the facility that they're at because they're going to want updates on what you're doing, the application, things like that. And then also you obviously need to speak with the government agency, get that in writing in your contract and signed by your client. Okay. I hope that clarifies things. And as always, if you have questions, please email me Todd at elderlawinabox.com. And I would really appreciate you sharing this with your friends. Subscribe and I will see you next time. You've been listening to Elder Law in a Box, helping you help seniors have peace of mind and not go broke paying for the care that they need. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. But it doesn't stop here. If you want to learn more about letting Todd be your elder law coach, find him at www.elderlawinabox.com and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all at Elder Law in a Box. Thanks for listening. Until next time.